Tony Award winner and resident choreographer at New York City Ballet, Justin Peck is also a celebrated director, filmmaker, and dancer. Hailed as a prodigy, Justin has created over 50 dance works with more than 20 for City Ballet alone. He has collaborated with Steven Spielberg and performed a vast repertoire of works by George Balanchine, Jerome Robbins, Alexei Ratmansky, and Christopher Wielden, just to name a few. At the heart of Justin's work is his musicality. For me, music is the number one motivating force or inspiring force. And I feel really lucky that my job is to get to respond to music and get to interact with music. You're listening to Moving Moments, the podcast that explores the dance world's most accomplished and groundbreaking artists. I'm your host, Alicia Graf Mack, Dean and Director of Dance at the Juilliard School. During each episode, you'll hear me talk with some of my closest friends and most trusted colleagues as we sit down to hear about their creative process and how they are changing the dance world on and off the stage. We are here in my office at the Juilliard School, and it brings me back to when you worked with the students. It was such a blessing for me, and I know for them. What was it like for you, and why did you say yes? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on this. I'm really excited to be here speaking with you. I had been invited a few times by you, actually, to <laughs> yeah. come make a piece for Juilliard for the new dances. And I was always super intrigued by it. And it just like never really worked out scheduling wise. So just like the, the clouds clear, the planets <laughs> aligned. And I was able to come in and do this piece, which was a really special experience. I've always loved the new dances program. I've been coming to see the new dances as an audience member, probably since I was at the School of American Ballet. Mm -hmm. So. It's one of those shows that I always try and catch. And it's also really refreshing because it's always right around Christmas time. Yep. So it's like, it's like Nutcracker, 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 <laughs> Nutcracker, new dances. Ah, oh, thank you. <laughs> so, and it's so focused on new work, which I always love. And I, I just adore that kind of phase of a dancer's development and trajectory mm -hmm. where they're still learning and growing as students, but it's kind of like that transitional moment where they're learning to take agency over their own artistry and step into more professional shoes. Mm. And now they're all going off into the world, into all these amazing corners of the world mm -hmm. and doing, taking on jobs with great companies. And it's wonderful to witness that. I took note that you were very present through mm. the process. And you were like a chemist trying to find all the right ingredients to make the magic. Yeah. What goes into creating a work? How do you even begin to visualize what you're going to do? And how do you pull it all together? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I love talking about it because even after all this time and trying to explain it, I feel like there's no perfect way to articulate what that process is like. And it's so complicated. I didn't even know that I wanted to make dance or like choreograph. I just was so fascinated by that and so blown away by that. And so I just kind of studied it for a few years. Like I would just go to the ballet every night mm -hmm. and just watch and be 
obsessed and like curious over it. And, and then eventually, I want to say like five years later, then I, I made my first little dance piece, but, um, but yeah, that's been my own kind of personal experience and every choreographer works differently and every choreographer is inspired in different ways. Can you talk a little bit about your connection to music? I know that you have an extensive playlist, just music that you listen to, you know, walking the streets of New York City, but also this idea of tradition and your connection to the New York City Ballet and getting to to work and perform pieces that were created by Balanchine, who we know was just such a musical poet for movement. Mm -hmm. What does music mean to you and how do you visualize it? Yeah. I mean, for for me, music is the number one motivating force or inspiring force. And I feel really lucky that my job is to get to respond to music and get to interact with music. Mm -hmm. I think it's so instinctual in all of us to want to dance when we hear music. Like even I have a daughter mm -hmm. and putting on music and you know what that's like yes. to have kids and mm -hmm. they they really love yeah, to move so innate. too. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like, it's something that's inside of all of us, mm -hmm. I think. And it's not, it's something universal and that we can connect to. And so that's, that's one thought. And then when I first came to New York, when I became interested in ballet and I came to go to the School of American Ballet and I started to come to see New York City Ballet all the time, I was... I was blown away by the fact that someone like George Balanchine was able to make dance about the interrelation between music and movement and mm -hmm. that it can just be that alone. It didn't need anything else. It didn't even need costume design or, you know, you look at a work like Symphony in Three Movements, mm -hmm. which is everyone's in leotards and tights kind of rehearsal wear and it's this incredible Stravinsky score and this mind-blowing dance that like brings to life movement in space and is in conversation with the music. And there are many choreographers who don't have this same approach and, and that's totally valid and interesting. And I have a lot of respect for that too. And just to throw a more obvious example of that is, is, you know, Merce Cunningham's work mm. and how he's, he was so curious about movement of the body and this kind of like chance and circumstance of putting a dance together with a piece of music that that was worked out separately and seeing what happens in that moment in the moment yeah mm. the kind of thrill of that yes. too which is also great what practical tools do you use when you're creating i'm talking about do you lock yourself up in a room and dream of the steps or start to actually physicalize the ideas? Do you take notes, draw pictures, use your phone? I usually try and kind of like build up this kind of, I call it like a portfolio because it's many different things. I start with the music and I'll just listen to it on repeat. And occasionally I'll look at a score, especially if it's orchestral, because that can be very informative. And then I'll start to decipher the music. And this step is really helpful for me to get inside of the layers of the music. So I'll basically translate the music from being written in notes for musicians to how the dancer might hear it with, mm. with their ear, which is not necessarily the same thing. Yes. And, 
And that ends up being a kind of like vertical grid of counts that I can then write horizontally little notes. Sometimes they'll be like anecdotes, sometimes little metaphors, mm -hmm. sometimes like very like pragmatic things like this is a line of dancers that turns into a circle. I mean, that's like a <laughs> dumb example, but mm -hmm. like that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then eventually there's a kind of like shape that's formed in that way. The next phase would be for me to get into the studio alone. And it's, I really enjoy this part of the process. So it's involves a lot of solitude and just moving in relation to the music and seeing how my own body might respond. Then certain thematic phrases start to craft over time to put it into an understanding of like uh, of time. For a t like a 20 second phrase, I might spend two hours finding what that is and then filming it. And I don't stop until I get a filmed clip using my phone mm -hmm. of the most authentic version of what I think that is. Okay. And I do that so I have it as reference, but I. I almost never look at it because the process kind of ingrains it mm -hmm. in my brain. And so then I have a little bit of material to enter the studio and work with the dancers. And usually if I'm working at somewhere like New York City Ballet, I'll have a casting in mind. So I'll mm -hmm. be like, okay, I'm working with Tyler Peck or I'm working with Sarah Mearns and this is going to be kind of for them and we'll find our way together. Mm -hmm. And then it just grows from there and it starts to include more of the cast and starts to take shape. If there are any choreographers, like aspiring choreographers or anyone listening who's curious, there's a really helpful app called AnyTune Pro, which is like a music app and you can like upload music tracks and you can slow it, slow the track uh, down, you can speed it up, yeah. you can change the pitch, you can put in marks, you can loop it. So that's really helpful for working in the studio, mm -hmm. both alone and with the dancers. I've been using that a lot lately. I'm just thinking about your time in the studio on your own working and wondering how you take care of your own body as an instrument. I don't know if you're actually performing, taking like daily class, but how do you prepare your own self yeah. for that process? I don't normally take like a communal ballet class. I'll usually do a kind of modified bar that is very much programmed to prepare myself for the kind of movement I need to do. I don't go in there and do an hour and a half class where I'm jumping and working on my turnout and my <laughs> right. extension. It's about finding alignment and finding a sense of opposition, which is one of the defining qualities of ballet. It's like what makes ballet unique, I think, is mm -hmm. that everything is working. It's like two sides pushing against one another, whether it's like the turnout of the legs or the arabesque against the back or the the squareness of the hips against an alsagone pressing out. So it's about finding just the feel of that opposition. And then the other thing I'll mention is Marika Molnar, uh. <laughs> <laughs> who's the, the wizard physical therapist yes. of New York City Ballet, who I actually saw this morning. So, okay. <laughs> and I feel like if I don't see her after a few weeks, my body will start to like, just it'll get bad. <laughs> so she keeps everything aligned and moving. Awesome. And she also, I was like, when we did West Side Story, we had to be very conscientious of maintaining the healthy body for mm -hmm. all the artists involved in that. And so 
I was like, we need Marika Molnar for this. And they actually hired her. Oh, so fantastic. She, yeah, so she worked on that whole film. She was there with us for almost the entire film, which was amazing. We had no in, no major injuries the whole That's time, awesome. which is a miracle. Yeah. yeah, oftentimes in more commercially oriented projects, the dancer's health is like the last thing yeah. that people think about so it's true glad you were there to make sure that yeah. they had the tools and the resources that they needed i just i should also just give a shout out to amblin and to steven spielberg for mm -hmm. supporting that too because mm -hmm. oh, you're right a lot of commercial projects and producers won't necessarily go the extra mile in that way so yeah. and they really did so i appreciate that so awesome so you were appointed new york city ballet's resident choreographer only the second in its history in 2014. What was that like? I was so hungry to make work at first. Mm -hmm. And I was, I just, I was very impatient. I was like, ah, oh, give me some like main stage opportunities. And I'm looking back, I'm appreciative of getting to first work a little bit more privately at the New York Choreographic Institute, mm -hmm. where I did several sessions. I did more work there than the average choreographer gets to do at the Institute. Okay. So that was sort of like my training ground. And then when I started making work for New York City Ballet, it was this thing that happened where all of a sudden it was nonstop, like was offered my first commission. And Peter Martin's the director at the time, really liked a piece that I made for the Institute. Mm -hmm. So he all of a sudden wanted me to expand that ahead of that first commission. Mm -hmm. But I felt like I was just, whoa, I need to just keep my head down and do the work. And I just kept making work and making work and making work and not really getting a chance to get in my head about it. Mm -hmm. And I made a ballet called Everywhere We Go. Yes, I remember. Um, <laughs> yeah, that premiered in 2014. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's the ballet that kind of cemented my future role as resident choreographer. And so I was appointed resident choreographer a few months after that. And I honestly, I feel like the residency allowed me to exhale and be like, oh, I know that I'm going to get to continue to make work mm -hmm. and that there's a relationship here. Yes. And so now I can think about potentially taking a risk. And if it's a failure, it's okay. It won't put an end to my potential to to keep making work mm -hmm. and and so i started to think in that way and i think that's where a work like the times are racing really came about like that was a piece of music that is not typical for the audience at new york city ballet it's a little bit abrasive i would say and kind of slightly radical and i was like Let's just try it and see if it works. And it really was that fine line where it could have been terrible or it could, you know, it could yeah. fly, it could, it could take off. <laughs> yes. And and so I feel like that's that was really important for me to have the residency. I know those kinds of p positions are rare, and but offering a choreographer a, even just a second chance mm -hmm. to come and make something like so that it's not all pressure on this one piece. And now that I've expanded my role at New York City Ballet and I have this uh, additional artistic advisor position there, I'm able to work towards nurturing more of that. And, mm -hmm. you know, we had Pam Tanowitz come back right away and make a work yeah. or Kyle Abraham. Well, I, I wanted to tap into this idea about your home company because 
I know so many of the dancers you came up with through SAB and in your time performing, and you understand the culture and the pace of the company. What is it like to then step out of your home and be a guest choreographer in other companies? What are the pros and cons or kind of challenges that you face? Yeah, I guess when people started to become interested in my work, I started to get offers to choreograph for other companies, which I was so thrilled about. Like, I was like, this is amazing. I'm going to get to travel and go to different places and work with different companies. And it was a dream for a while there. And I feel like there's a little bit of an adjustment that's happened lately. And I think I'm learning that it's not about going to a company. It's about going to make a dance for the dancers, for the artists. And that who those artists are, it can change in a company. Like mm. it can change even in a short amount of time, like from in like five years, it can be a different sort of vibe. Yep. I find it interesting that as a dancer and a performer, I think we can connect to the idea that at some point, all the hard work and everything amounts to this fleeting moment of magic, yeah. right? All of the elements have to come together to make that. What does that mean in terms of choreography? Do you ever feel that same high as a choreographer? Or are you seeking something completely different? I mean, yes and no. I think it's like, it's definitely slightly different. I get the dancer high. I feel like another way that I, I used to think about it is like, or I still think about it is forget about the past and you forget about the future. And you're just thinking so, so much in the present, mm. right? When you're on stage. And, and I, I love that as a choreographer, there's a similar sort of high in when something's never been seen before and then mm. it's in front of an audience and just like sensing the energy of the entire room, not just the performance on stage, but like what the audience is exuding and it doesn't. It's not always great. More often than not, it's not great. But those moments when it happens, it's like, it's so profound. It's like hard to put into words what that feels like. And one of the works that I think of is I, I did a, a kind of new interpretation of Copeland's rodeo score. And still now when we perform it, it's like, the performance is going on on stage and it's great to watch, but I'm more intrigued by the energy in the space. Mm. There's something about that ballet yeah. where the audience is kind of like buzzing. It's like something more subtle and I can't explain it, but there's something there. And that that's like the magic. Yeah. That happens. I think it's um this visceral energy that dance, has the power to do it can cut through space and touch someone and i'm imagining as a choreographer when you can see that happening you have this sixth sense that the audience is taking it in yeah but it's like not even i can't predict whether it's going to happen or not it's like mm -hmm. so not <laughs> in my control and i don't know how to do it it's not like there's like a formula and it's like Okay, if I do these things, it'll get there. Yeah. It's something beyond 
myself singularly. It's mm-hmm. like, it must have to do with all the different elements coming together and whether the planets align or not. Yeah. You really have a gift for understanding all of the elements that come together like a film director. I, I feel like you have a film director's eye, which is so different than how you visualize dance on a proscenium stage. How did you get to learn these things? Was it trial and error? Did you take a film course? How did you understand how to create dances for camera? Yeah, that's a good question. Most of what I've learned as an artist, whether it's as a choreographer or filmmaker or anything, has been through the experiences of doing and getting to be working in a process with others and just being hyper aware of everything that's going on and taking notes about that and asking a lot of questions and then supplementing that with research. Mm -hmm. And I've been fortunate to get to have this organic working process and starting off in a very small way. Like Mm -hmm. the first thing I did was, was a two minute film with a two person crew and myself dancing with Janie Taylor in a dance studio. And I was like, whoa, this is like a whole, it's like now dance doesn't have to be presented to the, to the front. Mm-hmm. It, be, it can go look at it from any angle. And then just incrementally that led to more and more projects. And I guess I learned the most from getting to collaborate with, with Steven Spielberg and that entire team on West Side Story. And and I'm appreciative of, of how he embraced me as a collaborator and as a partner for that. And yeah, it was a 79-day shoot. Oh we were, yeah, we which is very long. <laughs> Most films, feature films are like half that length. And we rehearsed for three or four months. I did a lot of prep work, with, like very hands-on prep work with with Steven and with Tony Kushner, the screenwriter. And I've just learned a lot. The film shoot, I was sitting next to Steven for every minute of every day. Wow. It was a lot of downtime. So I would ask him a lot of questions. I would get to interact with the crew, which was also so informative. And they were very generous with wow. with answering any questions. I even operated a shot that's yes. in the film. What? Yeah. <laughs> and it was a night shoot and I had to work the third axis of wow. the camera. Yeah. And yeah, this was the ultimate master. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it really was. No, I, I, it's one of those scenarios where it's rare to have that circumstance. It was this extraordinary opportunity that came my way. And to be honest, I was really hesitant about taking the job because of the weight of the original content it's so iconic right mm-hmm. it's like people know west side story yeah. and and it's known kind of for the dance like of you, course. S- you see like parodies mm-hmm. of the dancing mm-hmm. in west side story that's how how much it's influenced our culture and here in in america at least and and so i was just nervous about that and all the ghosts that existed in mm-hmm. it and i'm glad i did but you're right just going back to your question i feel like with dance for the stage it's like you have to bring the dance to this box mm-hmm. to present to the audience and everything has to be designed and organized to exist in that box mm-hmm. and then 
with film, there's no box. Dance suddenly can be anywhere and the camera comes to the dance. Right, and, and you can guide the eye. Yeah. The thought that you can just choreograph a hand. Yeah. And that can be the thing that yeah. the audience member sees. Absolutely. Sometimes there can be greater intimacy to be found through that medium because you can get close mm -hmm. to the hand or you can get close to the face and you can feel the close energy between two dancers. In that way, There's there can sometimes be a little more range. Mm -hmm. And so, and it, but it can also be daunting. It's like, then you have, you have infinite choices yes. just to talk a little bit about West Side Story again, like the cool scene, which takes place on this kind of dilapidated pier. That was the entire set was customized to the dance. Wow. So it was built from the ground up to function with the choreography. So I had to build out the dance in collaboration with the production designer with the mm -hmm. scenic designer and that was a little bit daunting and that was a long process mm -hmm. for us to figure that out do you think you would take on other big projects like this do you see yourself as a, a major motion picture choreographer now i think it's for me it's always about what can i learn from working with a director i'd be really interested in being at the helm of my own film projects eventually. That's like a dream to develop stories that can be expressed through film medium that include dance. And I feel like that can only come from an individual who loves and values dance, right? It's like, if you look at even like Bob Fosse's work and the films that mm -hmm. he made, he was a dance maker. And because of that, dance became this outlet of expression that ran through a lot of his film work mm -hmm. and so i look to something like that as an example yeah. and with the hope that maybe there's a possibility for that kind of opportunity to happen again i'm sure it will if it's a mm. thought in your mind yeah. i'm sure it will come to see <laughs> we'll see it's many steps many well steps, yeah you know you're still very young which is also I'm impatient. remarkable. I'm impatient. <laughs> your age and your incredible list of accomplishments. Let's talk a little bit about the sneaker ballet. Okay. Often we think of dancing in sneakers in hip hop, maybe on Broadway, in movies, on television, but not so much for the ballet. What made you want to have the dancers take their point shoes off or remove their ballet slippers and start working in sneakers? Yeah, that's totally true about where sneakers come into play in terms of dance. There are a few outlier cases. I'm thinking of like Jerome Robbins, New York Export Opus Jazz, or some of the work by Twyla Tharp. Both of those are big influences on me. And even just as a student, seeing those and being like, oh, I want to dance those. It feels like I can connect more with that. And I think that's where the thinking comes in for my own work. There's something about the sneaker that we can all relate to. It's like we we all wear sneakers. Yes. Maybe some people wear dress shoes or whatever <laughs> to go to work, but everyone knows. Yeah, me, me neither. But like people know what it feels like to be in sneakers and to move through space. And so I think that's a way for viewers to relate to the dance. 
I mean, there's something amazing about being an audience member and watching point work and how extraordinary that is mm -hmm. and the, the craft of that and the discipline of that. But, but there's something else to be said about that universal feeling of seeing dancers in sneakers and almost thinking I can do that because right. we're wearing the same shoes <laughs> or something. And then getting to actually dance myself as a professional in something like New York Export Opus Jazz mm -hmm. and starting to like become acquainted with what happens to the body when it's in sneakers, how the weight drops a little bit, how there's greater traction to be found, how it gives you a little bit of an edge in terms of moving expansively. Yes. Like almost like a platform to push off of that I really liked. It felt I felt confident as a dancer getting to perform with that mm -hmm. kind of footwear. Yeah, I think there's something very American about the physicality that you can embrace in a sneaker. Mm -hmm. It's like this energy and physicality and rhythmic quality that you can find. Yeah. Uh, and the sense of groundedness that you talked about too is really cool. Yeah. Did Were there any sneaker dances at Alvin Ailey that yeah. you were part of? Yes. I danced in a few of Rennie Harris's pieces. Yeah, cool. You know, he's really known for fusing hip hop, house, and modern dance. Yeah. And I love that. that really taught me how to ground myself but also there's so much more maneuvering you have to do just like learning how to use a point shoe you kind of have to learn how to use a sneaker yeah as well, right yeah we talk about that a lot especially at new york city ballet because so often they're in point shoes mm -hmm. or ballet slippers mm -hmm. i know that you had your beginnings as a tap dancer yeah and i right. wonder if some of that is ingrained in these ideas? I think so. I, yeah, I first became inspired to dance when I f saw a, a Broadway show at the age of nine called Bring in the Noise, Bring in the Funk. Oh, so good. Which is an amazing show. I love that show. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, what is this? This is so incredible. I don't understand it, but I want to know more. And I started to train and tap dance. And I think I was inspired by the the balance between dance and musician that a tap dancer mm. has to be like that they're actually making the sound yes i mean the best i've ever seen and so i think a lot of that kind of musicality mm. that i studied as a young person like from the age of nine onward influenced my musicality as a choreographer mm. i do really feel that and i think that when I approach a ballet, like the times are racing, it definitely has a strong backbone in balletic movement. I think that's the foundation of it. But then there's all these other influences that feel very personal to me, mm -hmm. like having studied tap dance really extensively and the history of it and other forms that kind of fold their way into this and like the work I've done for theater and on Broadway and how I can pull from that medium and see how that influences what would become like a sneaker ballet for a New York City ballet. To me, that's what I'm inspired by as well. Awesome. You miss dancing. Are you dancing and performing? I it. am selectively Okay, I was wondering. <laughs> I actually don't love it as much as I thought I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely moments where I'm like, okay, this is great. And it's, but... 
my body is much happier now. Mm -hmm. I think like, even though I'm very physical in my process as a choreographer, it's like, it's not the extreme of performing. I just made a short dance film Mm -hmm. on location here in New York. And it was like an all day shoot. And I choreographed it and I I performed in it as well. And I am so sore. (laughs) Like I, I feel like it's, it's definitely, it's, it's a lot of sacrifice. Yeah. And I definitely appreciate dancers going there yeah well um, well stated yeah I, but i feel the same way yeah <laughs> you're still like dancing never, a little bit though. yeah i i felt like i would never get over the want to be a dancer you know yeah. like perform full-time yeah but i think as i got older and i had more time having kids or what have you away from dancing i realized i got to learn other things that that drew me in and kept me interested. And now the thought of performing full-time is is totally <laughs> non-existent. But you'll do selective sure. things. Yeah. Yes, very body conscious, yeah. age conscious. Okay. Things. Well, maybe we, we can get in the studio together, do a little something. I can, I mean, I can pull out a sneaker. Okay, we can do that. We can do that. We do the sneakers. We do the sneakers. <laughs> Let's see. I did a project actually once with Mikhaila Barishnikov invited me I to make a story. Oh, you were you saw it. I was in the front row. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. And that was terrifying because he was 70. And so it's like, first of all, greatest dancer of all time. Yes. Second of all, 70 years old. Mm-hmm. Like, what is he gonna be comfortable with? How do I push him? How do I how am I respectful of his his yeah. physicality in this phase? And it was really there was a lot of stress that I had to keep inside, <laughs> but it was a really amazing experience to do that. So that was an incredible performance. And I remember watching him. It was like a masterclass in performance. Oh, yeah. He could just stand there. And then he had these beautiful steps to do and his transitions and everything. Yeah. Outstanding. He's a, yeah, he's a true artist mm-hmm. for sure. Life is so full for you. In addition to your growing portfolio of work, you are also married to one of the nicest human beings on the planet, Patricia Delgado, (laughs) and you have a beautiful baby girl. How has being a dad affected your outlook and approach to your work? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I'm still like finding it. And I think it's like, for me, it's great perspective and it It's also this kind of like expansion of life. And Mm. like I thought I was nervous about having a kid and what that would mean sacrificing. I feel like there's still a way to figure out how to make it happen, right? Life just opens up and makes room, right? Yeah. But you don't realize that until you're Mm -hmm. experiencing it, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. And so that's what I feel is so amazing about it. I thought I was going to enjoy it, but I'm enjoying it way more than <laughs> I, I even realized mm-hmm. I would. And so that's been mm. just so special and like beautiful. Well, thank you so much. I'm just so grateful to know you and to to get to live this life of dance and art with you. Oh, man, I feel the same way. I feel like you were saying it earlier, like the dance community is so small. and But that's what it's really about. It's about community. And I feel a really important connection with you. And so thank you for inviting me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Moving Moments. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends about it. Spread the word. 
Be sure to follow the show, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. To keep up with future episodes, follow us on Instagram at Moving Moments Podcast and visit us at artfulnarrativesmedia.com. Tune in next week as we hear another inspiring artist's moving moments.